Well, welcome to week five of the Gideon series. We are excited to continue to dive into the story of Gideon that we find in the book of Judges. And this has just been a fantastic series coming off of Easter, but it feels like summer is coming at us at 100 miles an hour. I don't know if you feel that way. I feel like that's just been the roller coaster ride I've been on. Um, I have a kindergartner that's about to no longer be a kindergartner. He's my first kindergartner, so we're in that emotional stage of like what has happened to our lives, right? And so as we approach summer, we are excited about just having a little bit of a breather of, uh, you know, not having school and responsibilities like we normally do during the school year. We're looking forward to the summer. But here at Three Circle, we have something to look forward to during the summertime as well. Some of you will remember from last year that we did a deep uh, theological kind of exploration on Sunday afternoons. uh, And we are going to continue that this year by going through a deep dive into the book of Exodus. And so we are offering what we're calling the Exodus Intensive starting this summer on Sunday afternoons. And I believe that is uh, available starting on June 11th through August 13th. You see the times available there. And so this is a great opportunity if you're looking to go deeper into the Word of God, and we're going to focus specifically on the book of Exodus over the summer, and it's just going to be a great time together uh, as we do that. And so we want to encourage you, if you're available to join any of those, we would love to have you hop in on that Exodus intensive for us. But today, we're going to look specifically at probably the most influential moment in Gideon's life. This is the battle. This is what we have been working up to. This is the pivotal moment in Gideon's life where God goes from preparing him to really utilizing him in a major way. And Gideon is going to experience for the first time what it looks like to really have victory in the Lord. Gideon is really good at fighting. Gideon is really good at battling. In fact, we see throughout his story, he's really good at fighting with God. He's really good at fighting with himself. He's really good at fighting in general with everybody around him. He is in turmoil and he is good at fighting. But he hasn't learned how to win yet. And I don't know how you feel this morning, but I can relate to that. In fact, we've talked over and over again throughout this Gideon series about what it's like to relate to Gideon because he's such a relatable person. But in Gideon, we see this guy who struggles to see victory. That's why he goes to God when God comes first, uh, first comes to him and says, hey, I have chosen you uh, to do this great work, you mighty warrior, you valiant warrior. And Gideon goes, you, you're not talking about me, you know? And then God says, Gideon, I need you to do this first main thing for me. I need you to go tear down that idol in your, in your father's backyard. And he goes, can I do it at night? And so he gets a group of people to go with him and he, and he goes and does it at night. And then God says, now you're ready to go fight this major battle. And he says, hey, I need to lay out some fleece and see what you do with that first. And he kind of barters with God. And we see that as an example of like, that's not the best way to approach God. But I love God's grace in that story where God says, hey, this is the way that I need to communicate with Gideon who doesn't have a Bible who doesn't have the word of God, but I'm trying to communicate in a way that gets Gideon on board. And so we, we see God's grace uh, as he does that. And then last week we talked about the battle. They're getting battle ready and Gideon is approaching war with a huge army, at least in, in comparison to what he ends up with. He's got a massive army prepared to fight the Midianites. And God says, I want you to send the majority of them home. And he gives some qualifications that he wants Gideon to follow in evaluating these men and determining who he's actually going to take into battle. And as you recall, probably from last week, if you were with us, that he's left with 300 men against this massive Midianite army. And Gideon is about to learn for the first time ever what it looks like to have victory. As I was preparing 
uh, for this message this morning, I couldn't help but remember uh, a time in my life about 12 years ago, I was working in student ministry, but I was also at the time a pastor of a congregation up in Greenville, Alabama, my hometown. And during that season, uh, on Wednesday nights, we started a youth program kind of from scratch. We didn't have a whole lot of teenagers in the church. And so we kind of started this thing. And Man, teenagers started coming. It was great. And we saw God move and God work. And I was every Wednesday night preaching to these students and, and casting vision for them and getting them fired up for the Lord. But then I, do, I did what all student pastors do. I had a bad idea that God turned into a good idea. You know? uh, in fact, I will give you the ratio. For every student pastor idea, there's about five bad ones to one good one. All right? But somehow God still uses the bad ones anyway. But I had this idea on a Wednesday night. I stood up and I was all fired up and I was passionate. And I said, guys, I am so tired of preaching to y'all every Wednesday night about how you need to change the world, but we're not giving you any avenue by which you can do that. We just keep talking about it, but I'm not out there in the trenches with you, sharing the gospel, impacting lives, changing the world. And I'm tired of just talking about it every Wednesday night. On, on Thursday afternoons, we're about to start changing the world together. And we started casting that vision. And I said, starting tomorrow, what I'm gonna do is on Thursday afternoon, I'm gonna go out in our community somewhere and I'm gonna go share the gospel with somebody. And I just need a few teenagers who are willing and bold enough to go with me. I said, so if that's you, here's my cell phone number. And I put my cell phone number up on the screen. I said, I want you to text me and tell me that you want to go uh, share the gospel with me and, and pray over people and impact people's lives. And I was fired up. I mean, it's Wednesday night. You got a ton of students in the room and they're all fired up. And so we go into Thursday, I get one text message, one text message. I'll never forget. It was a kid named Brandon and Brandon texts me. He said, Hey, I'm in. I was like, okay. And I was waiting, I was thinking maybe I'll get a couple more texts. I was posting on social media, I was sending out some reminders, nothing, Brandon was the only one. Brandon was a great kid, he was one of the popular kids in his school and he was kind of being called to the Lord and God was putting a fire in his heart and so he was just, he was fired up too. He said, I'll go with you. And I said, okay, so finally after a few hours I realized Brandon's all I've got. And so I text Brandon, I said, hey, I'll pick you up at your house and we'll go share the gospel and we'll go pray for people and, and we'll go do some incredible things. So I drive over to Brandon's house. I knew Brandon's family. I'd kind of grown up in that community and they knew me, I knew them. And so they let me in the house, I walk in and I go to Brandon's bedroom and there's like a dozen teenage boys in that bedroom. And they're all playing video games and like wrestling and just all that kind of stuff, right? And I walk in and go, what in the world is going on? Like he told me he's available to go this afternoon to share the gospel. And here he is in his bedroom playing video games and cutting up with 12 guys. None of them text me saying they were going like, has he just basically stood me up and forgot that we were going to share the gospel this afternoon? So I walk in and it's this awkward moment where I'm trying to fill out the situation. And I said, hey, Brandon, um, are we still going to go, you know, like do the thing? And he looks at me and goes, yeah. He said, and all them are going too. So I went from, I had one guy going with me to I've got a dozen teenage boys ready to go share the gospel. And I've got no clue what we're about to do. I'm just to be honest with you. Like I had somewhat of game plan of like me trying to appear like I had it all together in front of one guy. And now I got 12 guys. I've got an army. I have to figure out how to utilize and I have no plan. And so the best thing I could come up with, this is a true story. We went to Walmart and I was standing in the parking lot of Walmart. I said, this is the only place I know where we can kind of go in as a group of 12 and they're not going to immediately just run us out of the place. And so we go to Walmart and we're in the parking lot and they said, well, what are we going to do? And I just remember the true story. I have no idea. I have no idea what we're about to do. And to be honest with you, I was so scared out of my mind. I had never done that before. And so now I'm in this moment where I'm all fired up the night before, but in the moment I am scared to death. And so I tell him, I was like, okay, here's what I got. We're gonna split up into groups of two. I want you to go into Walmart 
And I want you to just, the first person you come in contact with, I want you to just walk up to them and say, hey, is there anything going on in your life that we can pray for you about today? So just ask them that question and, uh, and you guys go in there and do that. And I'm gonna go back to the truck. This was my excuse. I was like, I'm gonna go back to the truck. I've got some tracks. Y'all remember tracks? I was like, I've got some tracks in my truck. I'm gonna go grab those and I'll be back in just a minute. And that was my excuse of saying, I'm too scared to walk through the door with y'all, so I need y'all to go do it for me, all right? And so I sent the 12 guys inside of Walmart. I went back to the truck. I got me some tracks, you know, walked back into the store. And I kid you not, it was the most amazing thing, one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life. I walk into Walmart and everywhere I can look, there's groups of people praying together. And I was like, what in the world is going on? And I was like, are you kidding me? These are a bunch of knucklehead teenagers that were wrestling and playing video games a few minutes ago, and now they're covering Walmart praying. And I remember watching that, and all of a sudden, the fear just dissipated. I was like, you know what? If, if a teenager can be bold enough to go do that, then I'm teaming up with them, and I'm going to start walking around Walmart. We're going to start praying for people. And so we did. We started going around Walmart and praying for people, and it was amazing. It was so encouraging. It was just empowering to see how God used that simple step, step of faithfulness to impact in a major way. And it became so prominent that we started doing it every Thursday. And we picked different locations. We had some businesses, no joke, that ran us out and banned us from coming in their store because we were in there praying for people, you know? And then we had uh, the local newspaper wrote articles about these teenagers that would walk around town just randomly praying for people. And it became this crazy thing. But I remember it all started with me going, all I can get, Lord, is one kid? All I can get is one kid. Gideon is about to learn that all he needed was God alone to win the victory. That God wanted 301 individuals to come along for the ride. But all he needed was God in order to secure this victory. And I want you to see this with me as we dive into the story in Judges chapter 7, starting in verse 9. It's there for you in your notes as always, but let's read this together. It says, that same night the Lord said to him, arise and go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. The victory is there, right? He says, but if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amicalites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number, as the sands that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down, so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all of the camp. Man, I want you to see some powerful truths in this introduction to the war that we're about to look at tonight. God approaches Gideon and says, Gideon, if you're scared, go ahead and head down to the camp because I know you're scared and I've got a message prepared for you that I want you to hear. And by the way, take your servant, Pura, with you. Now, I want you to write this down. God will always confirm what he commands by his word. God always confirms what he commands by his word. So God makes a promise to Gideon and he repeatedly makes this promise to Gideon. 
But he is going to confirm over and over again that what God has said is in fact going to be true. That what God promises is in fact going to be reality. We see God do that repeatedly throughout the Old Testament. We see Jesus do it repeatedly in the New Testament where Jesus' disciples would come to him and they would say, Lord, help us understand what you're trying to communicate to us. Help us to know what you would have us do. Help us to be obedient to your word, but we need to understand more. And one of the things we see is that God echoes that same instruction, the same commands, the same promises again and again and again. He confirms them repeatedly. God reminds us as we dive into his word regularly, he reminds us of those promises. God reminds us of his instructions. He reminds us of his will. He reminds us of what is good and what is truth. And he reminds us of that repeatedly as we commit ourselves to repeatedly going to his word. God reminds us that we have a seat at his table that can never be taken away. God reminds us that he can never love us any more or any less, that his love is constant and unchanging. God's word reminds us of that. But if you're like me, we struggle to remember that truth. We struggle to dwell in the fact that we are a child of God, that God loves us, that God has chosen to pour out his love on us, and that God chose to send his son to die on a cross for us. We can forget that. It's so easy for us to believe the lies. What I love in this passage of scripture is that even the enemy got the memo, right? Even the enemy got the memo. It's amazing how God works. Gideon and, and, uh, and, his, and his servant go down to the enemy camp and they're eavesdropping on this guy. And this guy's like, listen, I had a dream. And I don't know why these guys had to use the word behold a lot, but I mean like five times right there, he's like, behold, you're right? He says, behold, this is my dream. And, and his comrade says, uh-oh, this means we're all about to be destroyed by Gideon. God had delivered the memo even to the enemy. And I want you to know, even in our lives today, the enemy knows he's game over. He's lost. He is not going to win the battle. Satan knows he has been defeated. And so he is constantly trying to wreak havoc on our lives as much as he possibly can. The forces of darkness and sin and death and the grave are trying to plague us in the short amount of time that they have left because they know they lose. And we have guaranteed victory. And God constantly confirms that in our lives. But in addition to confirming, God also provides clarity. In fact, you can write this down. God's clarity builds our confidence. As God gets more and more clear with us, as God defines things and clarifies things and goes into detail for us, it builds our confidence. Gideon's confidence grew as he went to the enemy camp and he heard that disaster was about to fall on the Midianites that the Midianites were aware of who Gideon was, that the Midianites were aware that a loss was about to come their way. This strengthened Gideon. This gave him courage and confidence. And again, this is common practice for God. God repeatedly reaches out to us and helps to add clarity so that we can better understand how he is working in us and through us. What you also see in this passage is that God uses godly companionship to strengthen our resolve. Gideon has the luxury of taking a servant with him. Now, I just have to imagine, you, you, you kind of go back through the story of Gideon and you see that first night that Gideon travels to his father's property and tears down the idol to Baal. 
And, uh, and, and we you know, famously talk about that being in his dad's backyard, but he takes 10 servants with him. Now, I don't know if Pura was one of the servants, but I can't help but wonder if he was, or if he at least knew the story. But Pura, another one of Gideon's servants, is gonna travel with him down to the enemy camp, and Pura's starting to get on board with what's happening. is starting to realize God is using this scaredy cat named Gideon to do some incredible stuff, and I can't wait to see what God's going to do next. And so Pura is the companion that goes along with Gideon. And it's a powerful reminder that so often in life, when God calls us to do something, he often sends someone with us as a companion to be an encouragement. I'm so thankful for those people that God has put in my life. In fact, kind of unfortunately and sadly, these past couple days, I've been up in Georgia where I uh, was a student pastor at, at, at my previous church. And uh, for the eight years that I was there, there was a woman named Edie, and Edie was uh, in her 60s during my time there. She's now, she was now in her, her 70s, and uh, she had been a, a faithful volunteer in student ministry for like 50 years in three different churches, and she went everywhere with me. I literally traveled the country and traveled the world with Edie as she invested in young lady after young lady after young lady. And it was amazing to me when I sadly caught wind that she had passed away. Someone called me this week to, to share that news with me. Of course, my heart broke, but I immediately knew I wanted to pull up social media because I can't tell you the number of lives that woman impacted. Teenager, teenager, teenager posted on social media, parents, grandparents, friends, peers, generation after generation posted how much this woman had impacted their life. And the funny thing was, I knew it was going to be like that on social media. I knew when I went there, she was going to get comment after comment after comment because she had made that profound of an impact on so many people just because of her faithfulness to remain committed to a calling that God had put in her life. She repeatedly volunteered year after year after year in student ministry, and God used her in an incredible way. I had to go back to Georgia. When, when my former church uh, members saw me in the audience, and they said, we knew you, were, you would be here. I said, I had to be here for Edie. Edie, uh, you know, the term of my generation, is she was a ride or die. She was going to be there no matter what, in the good times and in the bad times. And so at this moment, you better believe in honor of her, I'm gonna travel back and celebrate her life with our other church family. You know, it's important that we have companions that are along for the ride with us because they strengthen us in times of need, but they also hold us accountable and serve so many other purposes that God uses in our lives. In fact, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse 12, puts it this way. It says, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, Two will withstand, a three-folded cord is not quickly broken. I love it put this way, without community of believers surrounding you, without companionship of believers, you are hanging by a thread. You're hanging by a thread. That's why we need companions who are followers of Christ. That's why we need small groups who are followers of Christ. That's why we need mentors in our lives who are followers of Christ. And some of you are exploring what that looks like. Maybe you're new to church or maybe you're new to faith in Christ uh, to begin with. But we try to put those things in your life. We try to put those resources in your life because they are so important to the walk of a Christ follower. You have to have companions, you have to have small group, you have to have mentors, and you have to have these people that are invested in your walk with Christ. Because I guarantee, at some point in time, you will need them. 
You will need them. We all need that companionship. But I want us to continue to look at what God does here in Judges chapter 7, verses 15 through 18. It says, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into their hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpets, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon gives them these instructions, but I want you to imagine, he goes back to the army of 300 and he says, all right, boys, it's time to attack. I've gotten confirmation from the Lord. I've gotten clarity. I know exactly how this is all about to play out. I need you guys to suit up. We're gonna roll out and we're attacking Midian tonight. And you gotta imagine, they've been looking down on this vast army. I mean, it says the army's bigger than the sands of the seashore, which is the ancient number for big, okay? And he says, there's a lot of them and very few of us, and I need you guys to suit up because we're going to war. Now, these 300 guys, as Pastor Chris talked about last week, are, are probably the elite when it comes to Israel. They were guys who were committed, who were focused, who were locked in, who were ready to be obedient to instructions. But I imagine when Gideon told them to suit up, they were like, all right, what do we need? He said, well, I need you to grab a bugle, a pot, and a, and a lighter, essentially, Okay. I want you to imagine this. This is their weaponry. Look at, look at this imagery here, and, and, and I want you to see this with me. So we got, the, got the, the, the shofar, as the ancient Israelites would call it. This was a ram's horn that they would have used as a trumpet or as a horn. So this is what they would have had. And I got to thinking, I even, I even talked to Pastor Chris about this. I was like, how did they come up with 300 trumpets? Like, does every guy just roll around with a trumpet? And then I went back, no kidding, if you go back to the passage we looked at last week, Judges chapter seven, verse eight, says that when Gideon sent all the other troops home, when he pared that army down, right? When he sent all of them home, it actually says that the 300 took their resources, that it took their provisions, and that basically, I, that's, that's how I come up with, that's how they ended up with 300 trumpets. That's how they ended up with 300 jars and 300 torches. It wasn't that all of them were carrying them around, but God's like, hey, all I need is 300 guys and some trumpets and some jars. We can make this happen. And so they have this shofar or this ancient trumpet. They have a jar. I mean, how intimidating is that? You know, let me go get grandma's pottery and we're gonna go to war, all right? And then they have a stick with a fire on it, all right? Now you can make that as cool as you want it to be. If that's the best weapon in your arsenal against a Midianite army whose camels outnumber the sand of the seashore, I'd be a little cautious about that battle. I'd be a little hesitant to approach that war. But here's the key point that we all need to remember. These are the weapons that God told Gideon to use. These are the weapons that God had equipped Gideon with. But here's the reality. The battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. Listen, some of you in this room need to hear that this morning. The battle belongs to the Lord and the victory is guaranteed. Some of you are like, well, Jonathan, I'm fighting a battle of, uh, you know, I'm trying to, to restore my marriage and it doesn't feel like the victory's there yet. Jonathan, I've received a, a diagnosis and the outcome is not looking good and I, have, I don't see the victory yet. 
Some of you are like, man, I am trying to be obedient to the Lord, but I'm battling temptation and addiction and I have problems and I have issues and I have struggles and I do not see the victory yet. And today I want you to hear, listen to me, the battle belongs to the Lord and the victory has already been won. You just gotta learn how to win. You gotta learn how to win. And some of you are like, well, what if the diagnosis is really bad and the outcome doesn't look good? When you stand in front of Jesus, I promise it's going to look good. Victory doesn't always come the way we want it to. Victory doesn't always look the way we think it should, but victory in Christ is guaranteed. The battle is his and it's already been won. Gideon just got the memo that the enemy camp had already gotten, that the battle has already been won. And man, we need to hear that this morning. I don't care where you are in your walk with Christ. Maybe you're in between battles. Maybe you're in the midst of a battle, but you need to hear today that the battle is already won. And the Lord just wants you to become aware of it. He wants you to know that the victory is already at hand. He wants you to know the victory was won by Jesus and not by you. And he wants you to understand that if you haven't realized the victory is won yet, that he is in the midst of fighting for you in the moment and just to trust him with the victory. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse four says this. It says, for the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you the victory. He fights not for a chance that maybe we're gonna win this thing. He doesn't fight for a maybe. He doesn't fight in hopes for the best. He fights so that you will realize that he is going to bring about a victory. So Gideon gets this message. He relays the message to his troops. He tells them to suit up with their grandma jars and lighters and horns. And they proceed to go down to the Midianite camp and they divide and surround the camp. And in Judges chapter seven, the story picks up in verse 19. It says, so Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch. And they blew the trumpets, smashed the jars that were in their hands, and then the three companies blew their trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hand the torches and in their right hand the trumpets to blow, and they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all of the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all of the army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shittah towards Zerira, excuse me, as far as the border of Abel Maholoth by Taboth. And the men of Israel were called from Naphtali and from Asher and from all of Manasseh, and they pursued all of Midian. So they surround the camp. And on Gideon's cue, they have the torches lit inside of the jars and they break the jars and they begin to sound the trumpets. And as you imagine, the majority of the army is probably asleep, except for those that were on shift change of, of the watch. Some theologians even speculate, and this is pure speculation, the, the word of God doesn't tell us this, but because they timed the attack at such a moment that the watch was being changed out, that basically all the men coming back from watch would have been coming from the outside of the camp back towards the inside because watch, watch shift was being changed out. So when everybody wakes up, they see all these people approaching from outside the camp who are armed and Gideon is just blowing a trumpet on the hilltop with a bunch of torches and everybody loses their mind. They start attacking themselves. 
They start attacking their allies. They start attacking within the camp. They are attacking each other, and then they begin to flee. And it says as they begin to flee that, that Gideon calls out all of his allies from these regions, and they all begin to chase the Midianites out of God's promised land. Here's what this helps us to understand. The weapons given to us by God are more powerful than those of the world. They had camels, they had weaponry, they had a vast army that was incredibly intimidating. They had technology and resources that the people of Israel did not have uh, in their arsenal. But God equipped them with the weapons that he wanted them to have. Here's what's interesting. When you look at the, the clay pots and even the torches or fire and even the trumpet, and out, all throughout the Old Testament, those are somewhat used as instruments of praise, as instruments of worship. So God says against their swords or whatever they had at their disposal, against their camels and their armor and their chariots, I want you to just use instruments of praise. What's so interesting is that same arsenal is available to us today. God wants us to use prayer. He wants us to use praise he wants us to use the study of Scripture and the application of Scripture in our lives. God wants us to use in instruments of praise to fight our battles. God wants us to worship, and worship is enough. God wants us to praise, and praise is enough. God wants us to go to him in prayer because prayer is enough. And so many times we lean on those resources as the last resort. And God says, that's the most powerful weapon you have is praise and worship is approaching me in prayer, is studying the word of God and using it as the sword in which it is. These are the most powerful weapons you have. Do not neglect them. Use them. Train yourself with them daily. When you don't know what else to do, pray. When you can't figure it out, praise. And when you don't know what truth is, search the word of God. Because we are still fighting a battle. And I know for each and every one of you, the enemy's weapons look different. The enemy is attacking you in a different way than he's attacking me. He's after all of us. There's some opposition that's trying to drive us away from God. And Paul even understood this, and he wanted the church in Corinth to understand this as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, Paul writes this. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy the strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. The battlefield has changed. In fact, you can write this down. We are on a spiritual battleground. We're on a spiritual battleground. We're not looking down from the hills at a Midianite army that outnumbers the sun, or excuse me, the sand, not, not the sun. We're not looking down on that Midianite army, but we are fighting spiritual warfare in our lives repeatedly. We are fighting battles in our lives at all times. We are in the midst of spiritual warfare. The battleground has simply changed. In Ephesians chapter six, verse 10 through 12, it says, finally, you must be a stronghold, stronghold in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. God knows you're in the midst of battle. God knows that at times in your life you feel under attack. Priscilla Shire, a, a great uh, female teacher of the word of God, a powerful woman of God, she says it this way. She says, spiritual warfare is a conflict waged in the invisible spiritual realm that manifests itself in the visible physical realm. I want you to hear that again. So what we see happen in the physical and in the visible is often a manifestation of what is happening in the spiritual realm around us. There is war taking place. The enemy is on attack. But again, I remind you that the battle is already won and that victory is ours. But how does this work? How does this take place in our lives? What is our weaponry and how does it work? Going back to the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul helps us to see that we have the Holy Spirit in us, equipping us to do the work of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 19, it says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own. So if we wanna kind of revisit this arsenal of weaponry, weaponry that Gideon and his army had, and we wanna look and compare that to our own lives, we see these weapons and I think they're a beautiful imagery for us as we fight our battles today. In fact, I would say that those jars, those empty, fragile jars represent us. They represent us. The torches that were hidden inside those jars until the right moment, those torches represent the spirit in us. The spirit in us. And finally, those trumpets represent the spirit working through us. It's God using the resources we have available to do the work that he has called us to do. We are tasked with being obedient. And here's what I love, all throughout scripture, we see one powerful truth that I think is a powerful reminder for us today. Gideon started with a huge army and he went to war with 300. In the New Testament, there's this word that's thrown around a few times and it's called the remnant. Those who remain faithful, those who remain obedient. And all it has ever taken is a few to have a phenomenal impact. All it has ever taken is a handful of people to change the face of the world in the name of Christ. And so for us in this room today, in a world that feels like the number of Christians available the workers in the field, as it feels like that number is going down, I want you to know that for those of you who have placed your faith in Christ, that you are the remnant. And if the Bible teaches us nothing else, the remnant always causes a scene for the glory of God. So let us be those vessels. Let us have the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. And let us make an impact in the world around us. Will you join me as we pray together? God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the reminder that you are the one who secures the victory. That you are the one who gives us the tools and resources we need. And that God, you alone will fight our battles. 
God, may we rest in that. May we find our security in that. And may you help us to believe that truth this morning. And Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.